Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. And uh, we're thrilled to have back on our show. Uh, she's been a regular all week with us. Uh, Yushan Wu, who's a researcher in the Global Powers in Africa program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. That's in Johannesburg, right? Yes. Yes. Hi. So good morning. We, uh, she's a, a reg, now becoming a regular on on the show, and uh, normally we talk about uh, when Yushan comes on the show, we talk about media. Uh, today we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit, and we're going to delve into what is undoubtedly one of the most sensitive issues in China-Africa relations, and this, of course, is the ivory trade. Um, this has come up. You know, we've talked about this on our Facebook page, you know, a lot because it is an important issue. Uh, we've also had Cobus uh, and I. You and I have talked about it. Uh, you know for a number of times over the years because it's one that just keeps coming up again and again. Uh, and, and the reason why we're going to bring it back in the news is because Hong Kong uh, Customs Authorities uh, on July 19th, uh, they confiscated 4,800 pounds uh, of, of ivory tusks. And, and tragically, a lot of those ivory tusks actually were, were baby uh, tusks. Uh, and then that's at a value of $2.25 million. Uh, they were they were hidden. They were trying to be smuggled into Hong Kong, which obviously on its way to China, on a ship from Togo. And it really highlights the scale of the killing and what's happening. And now this comes after, uh, you know, some excellent reporting by the New York Times earlier this year about the complicity of uh, African governments and militaries in the ivory hunt. Now, what the problem here is that you've got, uh, you know, a piece of contraband, that is more valuable than gold now. And, and there's a demand that's coming from China, which is seemingly insatiable. And then you've got weak governance on the African side. Uh, and that really is proving to be absolutely toxic for the elephants and the rhinos. And so, Cobus, what do we know now that we didn't know six months ago on this particular subject? Is it the scale um, of the of, of the halls that we're seeing? Is it the fact that the killing is intensifying? Or is it now the fact that their predictions are that within 10 years it's possible that elephants will be wiped off the face of the planet except in zoos? Yes, I mean, I think it's all of those. I, th- I think, you know, kind of there, there's more of an awareness of the scale. You know, just this one shipment, we're talking about 574 elephants. Um, you know, the, there's talk that, that 30,000 elephants were killed in 2012 alone. So it's, it's just, it's just a nightmare. Um, I think what we're also seeing is, is a larger pressure from the international community to, to start getting a more concerted effort to, to stop it. So for example, there's been, um, an interesting, uh, agreement between the EU and China, um, to, inf- to increase, um, you know, enforcement and, and, uh, you know, uh, oversight, um, uh, in EU harbors, because a lot of the ivory go, you know, kind of moves from Africa to China via certain harbors in the EU. So they are, you know, kind of looking at, at, um, trying to kind of close some of these loopholes on the way to China. Um, but I think there's also also a lot more awareness that um, both in China and in Africa, the wildlife conservation laws are just woefully inadequate. Um, 
It's not only that the governments are corrupt, but that the laws themselves need to be rewritten. Yeah, but, you know, we talk about awareness, and, and this is where I get and, – and I don't mean any disrespect to you, but I get so frustrated on that because I, I think awareness is entirely overrated. Um, we have known for a long time that we are, you know, raping and pillaging the rainforests. That has not slowed our raping and pillaging of the rainforests. We have known for a long time that most of the clothes that you buy in a Target store or a Walmart store in the United States is built by, by substandard, you know, labor. Um, that has not slowed our consumption of those products. You know, awareness, I, I just think, is overrated. And, and the fact is that, you know, there really isn't an appetite in China to move this issue forward. Uh, one of the most senior wildlife officials, I, uh, his name is escaping me right now, he actually came out in a big public press conference about three months ago and said, you know what, China is not the driver of the, of the killing of this. It's the African governments that are doing this. China's not killing a single elephant here. And, okay, so on one point, he's absolutely right. The Chinese are actually not killing any, any elephants. Uh, it's, it, that is being done entirely by, by, by weak governance in Africa. The flip side of that, he's absolutely delusional if he thinks the fact that, you know, Chinese demand is not fueling this, this massacre. So, you know, my big point on this issue, uh, is I don't think that in China that any of the politicians are going to take on this issue because ivory is largely purchased by elites, largely purchased by a rising middle class, an upper middle class, and the elites. Um, and, and who they themselves either don't know or don't care where the ivory comes from. And frankly, you know, Xi Jinping, the president of China, he wakes up every morning and he's got 50 things that he's got to do to keep his country from falling apart. And I think the last thing he really wants to do is pick a fight uh, with his elites on an issue that really, for him, doesn't have any direct impact, in, in my view. So, Kobus, I am, I'm the cynic here, and I get on our Facebook page, and you see these outraged Westerners. For the most part, they're Westerners. I, that's on our Facebook page. They, they, they scream and they holler about how China must do something, and I don't think anything's going to be done. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, one of the complicating issues in the last few weeks has been that the Obama administration has jumped into this fray. Um, you know, so Obama has, has, um, appointed a cabinet level presidential task force to, to make us some kind of new national strategy dealing with, with African ivory and, you know, gave 10 million rand in technology, uh, sorry, 10 million, 10 million dollars in technology and training, um, to African governments, which I don't think isn't a lot, but, you know, at the same time, um, Hillary Clinton has also kind of now come out and, you know, officially kind of made this one of her issues. Um, so I think it's increasingly moving into a China versus U.S. soft power space, um, which I have my reservations about. I'm not sure how useful that's going to be. I think this is another bono. I mean, this is, you know, this is just – I mean, Hillary – first of all, we know the fact that the United States barely has any leverage with China on any number of issues. And, it, and we saw, you know, what leverage does it have with African governments? $10 million is a drop. $10 million for this issue is an insult. When yeah. you know when they're put you know when they'll put in a billion dollars into a drone base in in Djibouti, so that I think in some way shows you that the U.S. doesn't give a crap, um, and they're not <laughs> they're actually not going to put any muscle behind this because they're trying to form relationships with African governments and African militaries in particular, and if they have to be the one that says to the African militaries that you know what we have our drones picked up the fact that your one of your helicopters went into the you know. In, you know, went into the bush to go start shooting, you know, elephants with high caliber weapons. 
um, I don't think that's going to go down very well with you know U.S. you know African relations. So I just don't know if the U.S. is willing to expend any real political capital on this issue. What I kind of see coming out of this is it's got to be an emotional issue that comes from Africa itself. And this is the kind of issue where you have to have people in the streets. You have to have to say to African leaders that this has to be on the agenda, that you don't get the iron ore unless you start doing something about, uh, you know, or you don't get the oil. You don't get the, those resources unless you do something about the elephants. Yushan, let me come to you now. One of the things you talked about prior to the show was how this is becoming an incredibly sensitive, emotional issue for a number of people in your community in South Africa, and how it's even difficult, so emotional, it's even difficult to talk about. What Do you think, when you talk to your friends about this issue, could that possibly translate into action at some point? You know, it's. Um, I hope so. It's a really serious issue, and yeah, I mean, I, I said to you before that it's it's such a difficult topic to speak about, because you know when you ask friends or colleagues about this, it's um, um, there's they just feel like there is no comparison, you know, with the um, with you talk about um, I don't know the 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 night goods or the the you know, the, the products coming to South Africa versus this, because this for, for a lot of South Africans is illegal that you're not supposed to be um, doing this. And I mean, the type of images that have come out um, on Facebook and social media, the images of, of the rhinos being poached, it's, it's very it's brutal. brutal. It's brutal. So, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, it's so difficult to talk about this because it goes into the, um, the emotional aspect. And I think when we talk about the China soft power that Clovis was, was talking about is, I think this, this does have huge effects because, um, I don't think the public, um, will move on this issue. And the thing is, um, we know that a lot of the, the African or South African public still don't know enough about China that they see it as multicultural or, um, you know, with, with so many different legs that, I think this can potentially affect um, how they view China's overall engagement. You know, the the issue in China, though, is that, you know, and I'll, I'll put it from the other side, because we here in the West and who sit on Facebook all the time looking at these gruesome pictures can see the direct correlation between the killing and the consumption. The problem is, though, is that if you are in Beijing, Shanghai, Tianjin, Guangzhou, any of these major cities where there's ivory stores, and you ask the average you know person working in that store – or the consumer, do you know how this ivory got to you? Um, I would bet the vast majority have no idea. Ivory has been in Chinese culture for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, it is revered in many ways. But just like we don't know where our food comes from, many of us who go to the supermarket to buy a cantaloupe and, you know, that food that, you know, it's funny. I'm here in Vietnam and I buy South African produce. No joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea how, where that was picked, the conditions that it was picked from, the shipping that it was used to process, all of the, the whole supply chain of that. Uh, I'm totally ignorant to that. It may be good. It may not be. And I think the same is, is the, you know, so to put too much blame on the Chinese consumer is, is a problem because they're just buying it because they, they, they don't know where it comes from. You know, there was a, a push, one of the most promising suggestions, because I have not seen good solutions on this issue, Cobus, was actually in China to start, you know, introducing uh, synthetic ivory. As, yeah. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a substitute. Now, you know, it's not quite the real thing, but it looks like the real thing. And that's, to me, one of the – that's going in the right direction because people can have the look of ivory in their, in, in their office, in their home, 
but at the same time, it's synthetic. But again, this is what makes this issue so complicated, is that the consumer doesn't know that it's causing the problem. And and let me just put this question to you, Kobus. You brought up a comparison to cocaine or to heroin. Where, you know, in the United States, you know, we Americans consume a ridiculous amount of cocaine, um, and yet there's not an enormous amount of concern on the damage that it's doing to the social fabric in Mexico, in Colombia, in Peru, in, in all of these cocaine-produced, cocoa-growing uh, countries. So that's an illegal product the same way. So in some ways, it is it's comparable to the drug trade. I think so. I think, um, you know, the, the, the difference is that, that cocaine is also causing massive problems within the U.S., you know. Um, I think maybe, you know, kind of I raised the, the cocaine, um, uh, you know, comparison, but I think now that, now that we're actually discussing it, a, a better, more close, you know, more valuable comparison maybe would be to diamonds. Um, because, you know, you know, one thing I think that, that Western and, and Western commentators and also some of the commentators on our Facebook page tend to not take into account is the emotional and artistic aspect of of ivory carving in in east asia um it is an incredibly valued valuable trade um and it's not only in terms of economics but it's as cultural expression um so ivory isn't only valuable because it's expensive it's valuable because it symbolizes good relationships um so you know for example i was in japan recently um and I watched a documentary about this ancient carving trade um, in, you know, kind of Japanese carving trade where people in, in, you know, kind of photorealistically reproduce fruits and vegetables incredibly sophisticatedly, even include, you know, including like little, little marks where insects might have eaten this fruit, you know, in a very Japanese way. And I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. And then, you know, kind of the commentator on this Japanese documentary about this thing. And to think, you know, all of this is carved from ivory. And I'm like, oh... Um, you know, so, you know, kind of, and the, the, the situation is very similar, I think, to, to, if, if you think about the situation in the US, if you tell people from now on, people, the, the diamond trade is incredibly, is environmentally and, you know, kind of incredibly, uh, damaging, it, it damages human rights. So from now on, please don't buy each other diamond rings when you get married. You know, from now on, diamonds, you know, just buy something else, but, you know, buy a nice, buy a nice, gift card you know um it's just not going to happen because diamonds mean love um and diamonds have meant love in the u.s yes thanks to debia since the 1930s (laughs) ivory has meant love and respect in china for thousands of years so you know it's (laughs) you 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 know kind of so westerners just simply saying oh this needs to stop you know kind of they, they just don't take into account the emotional freight of this work which is you know which is akin to the the trade in jade you know kind of um it's just you know if and if you don't take that into account then it becomes incredibly difficult to counter it now when we look at the most of this discussion focuses on the demand side, which is East Asia, Japan, China, Vietnam. Uh, Rhino horn is more popular in in Vietnam for, you know, I don't know, everything from penile enlargement to, you know, curing cancer to, you know, who knows what. Um, And and then obviously ivory in in Northeast Asia is more popular. But Yushan, when when we talk about the emotional impact of this issue and, and the impact that it might have on China's perception in Africa, um, you know, there's another side to this issue, which of course is is the actual supply side, um, and that's not being done by the Chinese. The Chinese are not pulling the trigger to kill these poor animals. That's being done by uh, organized crime. It's being done by uh, militaries, uh, and and just because the, the the ivory itself is so valuable, 
that, you know, for one elephant, I think can go for twenty to thirty thousand dollars. That the demand is just is is there. So, when we talk about the emotional side, do you feel that people are just as frustrated with with the lack of African governance on wildlife management, or is it really on just on the consumption side for the Chinese? Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely, and um, I think we were speaking about this previously. Is it's really a um, you know, on one hand, do you, you know, we have um, African governments or South African government is put in a difficult position because we have these environmental concerns, but at the same time, you also have these um, economic um, ties, and. Yeah, so I think it's 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 just so complicated. Uh, like I had told you yeah. before, it's, this is such a difficult topic to speak on. And um, and I think you're right that it's. I think it's also because these products are valuable that they are rising consumer consumer markets in China and in Africa. That um, the more valuable things are, the more people want them. <laughs> so um, you know, there was also I I recently saw um, uh, there's an environmentalist who who actually was talking about maybe we need to legalize rhino, um, you know, the horns, but doing it in a humane way. But I don't think the South African public are ready or want to see rhinos without horns in the future. No, and, and you know, so speaking of the South African government, Cobus, uh, you know, I have never seen, I mean, environmentals for the most part are a pretty nice bunch of people, um, you know, but they got so pissed off at the South African government for and correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically, in accordance with the CITES Treaty, uh, for basically releasing a big uh, surplus of ivory onto the market, and their effort was to try and lower the price of ivory by increasing the supply. Uh, you know, this is seen by environmentalists as just feeding the demand. You know that just there's more ivory out on the market, so people will buy more, so they'll want more. Uh, but South Africa is 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 in a difficult position right now because on the one hand they seem like they're trying to 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 solve it, but on the other hand they're alienating some of the environmental base and some of their their constituents. Yes, they're playing a very complicated game within South Africa as well because in South Africa there is countless number of of Save Our Rhino kind of campaigns. So every time you go to a supermarket, particularly some of the the somewhat higher-end supermarkets in South Africa, you have these, you know, little little containers where you can drop in change, you know, kind of in order to save the rhino in in some kind of way that is not made entirely clear. Um, And, you know, so so this is is, – increasingly becoming a way for South Africans, especially, I think, South Africans of a certain class, because I don't think poorer South Africans really care that much yeah. about the rhinos. But, um, you know, kind of for more affluent South Africans, this is increasingly becoming a way to define yourself um, in your opposition to rhino poaching. So the, the South African government is playing a very complicated game here, where on the one hand, they're trying to... Um, they're, you know, they're looking at different ways of trying to, to lessen demand. And at the same time, it's, there's a certain amount of, you know, kind of any, any of this, uh, any perception that the South African government is, is, is losing or is, is withdrawing its support from, from rhino conservation will unleash this kind of firestorm within South Africa. As and well. South Africa is one of the first countries to deploy drones, that's unmanned aerial vehicles, over uh, rhino and, uh, and elephant preserves to monitor against poaching. And so if they see poaching activity happening, they can deploy resources to fight that. Um, the problem, yeah. too, is the fact that the poachers are coming heavily, heavily armed. So, you know, yes. the, the other, the other problem. Sorry to interrupt you. The other problem as well is that poachers are poor. 
you know. Um, so within South Africa and within Africa, there's a, there's a counter discourse. That is, why are our poor people being allowed to die to die of hunger while these animals are being are being protected? Yeah. You know, kind of. So there's a there's a kind of a um, why are animals being being and you know kind of getting more care than people kind of counter discourse to this as well within Africa. And then on the Chinese side of this, uh, we're starting to see the first signs of celebrity activism, particularly related to Africa. So uh, basketball legend Yao Ming, who is now retired, has made it one of his major causes, and he's in partnership uh, with, uh, I think it's called Wild Aid or Wild Asia, and he's been uh, coming to Africa on several different occasions to kind of raise the profile of, of, of conservation of elephants and rhinos. And, you know, it's the whole message that if the buying stops, the killing stops. And, you know, so this big, giant human being is next to this baby rhino, and those pictures yeah. are, uh, are, are, you know, are potentially have some impact. Uh, and then more recently is the movie superstar Li Bingbing. Uh, she's appeared in a couple international blockbusters, but she's definitely one of China's hottest movie stars. She came to Kenya, and she did the whole kiss the elephant kind of thing as well. So, you know, there is a little bit of hope on that, but I will kind of come back with my, you know, where the cinecat here and say a couple celebrities, a coin in the, in the, in the jar at the supermarket, you know, in light of the scale and the pace of the killing is not going to do anything. If anything is going to get done, it's going to have to happen from Africans and they're going to have to force China to pay a price for this. They're going to have to, as I said, Xi Jinping wakes up every day and there's 50 things on his list. They got to get this issue onto that top 50 or else it's going to be, I, 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 I my grim prediction is that the elephants are going to be, um, will be, I mean, you, how many did you say were slaughtered last year, Cobus? 30,000? 30,000. Well, if we go at that pace, there's, there's really not much hope. And, and it seems to me right now, Cobus, as far as I can see, there isn't anything really slowing that. Yes, um, you know, kind of, I, I think so. Um, and, you know, so, so recently, for example, um, a, a U.S. Um, defense attaché was, was arrested in, in Kenya um, with a bunch of ivory. And he got a fine of something like 200, 250 pounds like you, you, you know you know uk pounds so i mean that's ridiculous you know it shows that nobody's the, taking this yeah. seriously i mean it really yeah, just is yeah. it's just the, the the bald truth of it is that nobody's taking this seriously now on the on the public perception side some of the things that Yushan talked about uh one of the things that i've gotten into a couple of discussions on our facebook page at facebook.com slash china africa project is how i see people screaming and yelling at the chinese and you know and I, I just come back and said, listen, you, you screaming and yelling at anybody is not going to solve the problem either because the natural reaction is for people to get into a defensive crouch and to tell you to go F off. So, you know, so I think vilifying the Chinese on this is not – I don't think is the solution either. Uh, you know, I just think that it, it's not going to work. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, kind of, you know my, my perspective is just, you know, kind of on, on, on the way that Japan has, has, has turned, the right wing in Japan has turned wailing into this issue of sticking it to the man, you know, kind of don't, don't be pressured into, you know, into stopping wailing because this is what Japan does, you know. And, you know, meanwhile, within Japan, no one would ever consider touching whale meat because mostly, among other reasons, because everyone says it's so awful to eat, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, and Japan is a, is a country of, of gourmets. You know, so so like if if it's not tasty, you know, Japanese aren't interested. Um, so yeah, but they keep wailing because they don't just don't want to be told to stop wailing. Yeah, it's the same as in the United States where we didn't sign the Kyoto Protocol because we said we're not going to compromise our way of life 
based on the pressure from outsiders. Uh, you know, Americans, if they want to drive big cars and they want to air condition a 3,000-square-foot home, that's their God-given right, uh, regardless of the impact that it has on the polar ice caps. In fact, in the United States, we're not, we even, you know, half of our country doesn't even believe that global warming exists. So, you know, I think, you know, and they react very, very strongly when, when foreigners criticize them for their environmental policies. So I think this is, as you pointed out, Cobus, a rather global phenomenon that's going on that, you know, screaming and yelling at each other won't work. What will work, I think, is finding synthetic solutions, uh, slowly trying to change Chinese buying patterns and really making the Chinese pay um, an enormous diplomatic and political price for this. Um, Yushan, you know, this has been such a, a sensitive issue, you know, on, yeah. on so many fronts. <laughs> Let me give you the last kind of thoughts on this about, you know, how you and your friends see this issue and where you see it going in terms of, you know, is there hope? Do you feel that there's anything that can be done? Yeah, I mean, like we've been saying, it's a highly emotive issue. And I think um, we are debating about solutions. Um, and I think these, um, you know, like we talked about Yao Mingming and Li Beiming, um coming out and saying that they, they are against this, at least shows, um, I think, the African public and the Chinese public that you don't have to do this, first of all, and it's also not all Chinese. No. And as we know, it's also... Vietnamese, Thai. Um, I heard that um, at some point the Gulf states were criticized um, yeah. because of this issue. So, I mean, I think the the pace of finding solutions is not as fast as what's really happening, you know. And, and I think that is that is a huge challenge. But I, I mean, I do think it's on one hand, it's it's not really fair to um, because the African public don't know. Um, enough about China yet. They're only starting to learn that it's um, that it, this becomes the face of China. Yeah, you know, you know I think that that is the problem. Yeah, Cobus, yeah. one of the most popular posts that we've had on our Facebook page, I mean, bar none, was of that young Hong Kong teenager who put her arms together in an X form uh, in front of an ivory store in Hong Kong. And it was very, a lot of people said how encouraging it was to see that, you know, not all Chinese are buying ivory and that there is actually some awareness among young people that this is, this is a horrible thing. Uh, so I think to Ushan's point is that it is not all Chinese, it is not all Vietnamese, it is not all Thais or Japanese, but it is unfortunately enough. Cobus, uh, what are your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I think one one way to to change the tide would be if young young hip Chinese people end up, you know, kind of making this uh, making ivory a symbol of the old guard. You know, to a certain extent, how um, how, how bear paw. Uh, you know, kind of That's trading right. Right. as has happened. Uh, you know, kind of where, where it's like, oh God, this is something that your horrible uncle would eat. You know, um, like this is like ivory is something your your awful, you know, kind of stodgy kind of old family would would have, but you won't touch it. You know, that kind of thing would probably be have some kind of impact. And and the way that that gets changed is actually through popular culture. So integrating that storyline into the popular soap operas and dramas, into movies, into music videos, so that it doesn't become cool anymore is probably again the best. Hope. Or, you know, of course, buy a synthetic as well. The big problem, though, Cobus, with that is, as you know, Chinese culture places enormous value on things like gold and, you know, high-priced commodities. Uh, right now, ivory is just worth a lot of money, and that's that's one yeah. of the big problems of it too, as well. So, Cobus, we're gonna we're gonna chalk this one up as to our thoroughly most depressing podcast that we've had in the two <laughs> years since we've actually done this podcast. <laughs> we we did not intend to completely depress everybody, but we did want to kind of take on in a very honest way. 
this issue that is highly emotive, as Yushan pointed out, uh, and emotive for everybody. It's it's emotive for the Chinese for for di- reasons that are different than it is for South Africans, which are different than it is for Americans and and people and other people around the world. But we all have one thing in common, you know, the elephants. And you know, and I I kind of you know, my son is three years old, and I read him stories about you know Babar and you know elephants. And in, in, in the back of my mind, I wonder if he when he grows up if they'll actually be there. And and that's a very mm. sad. Sad, sad reality. So, um, yeah, don't know. Usually we, we end on something of a positive note, but I don't really have one here, Kobus. So, <laughs> so uh, well, listen, um, we do talk about this issue a lot, and, we, and we're very proud to keep the conversation going. Uh, in particular, we don't have enough Chinese people on our Facebook page to really have a, an avenue there, but we do have a large uh, African population, and so if we do nothing else, then it is to provide at least different perspectives into this issue. So we'd love to hear your feedback um, on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We do, if you're Chinese, we do have a Weibo page at weibo.com slash zhongfeixiangmu, which is the China Africa Project in Chinese. We do talk about it on that Weibo page. Eric Meister is, uh, is doing that for us. So we're trying to kind of keep this discussion alive. That's what today's podcast was all about. Not intentionally designed to depress you, uh, but uh, so we will. But you know, we we will keep the conversation going. Uh, Yushan, what we do at the end of every show is we we kind of you know tip people towards what you to follow you and what what you're reading and writing these days. Uh, what's the best place that people can find you on the internet? So you can find me on my Twitter account, which is Yushan underscore Wu. And then, of course, um, I work for Sire, and um, our um, our uh, Twitter um, account is Sire underscore Info, and there you can find information on you know broader issues such as resources, African governance, and emerging countries, which I suppose all come into this topic we've been speaking about today. So, and Cobus, where can people find you? I'm, I'm on our Facebook page almost every day, and I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting quite a bit on the uh, on, on the wildlife story, but as well as on most of the top stories from China and Africa. And then, of course, you can find me on our Facebook page as well. We'd love it if you leave a comment for us, uh, either on the Facebook page or on iTunes, where you can subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you can also follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on the BlackBerry Network. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to the China in Africa podcast.